Coming up in this podcast, Trump's trade wars WA impact, residential property prices, population and labour statistics, the World Trade Centre, Pacific Energy, ride sharing and our special report, The Most Influential. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News with Mark Panel and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Mark, the big global news in business this week is the US move to slap uh, China with $50 billion in trade sanctions. Uh, now, this is separate from the steel tariffs argument that's been going around for a little bit. Um, that is already th- These sanctions have already had a negative impact in WA. Yeah, the latest shock from Donald Trump. Never quite sure what might come from his presidency. Uh, Friday, the Aussie market followed Wall Street down, down about 2%, but particularly harsh for some stocks that are more exposed to the US. Uh, Blue Scope was one of the biggest losers, down about 6%. But several WA miners, Mineral Resources, South 32, Iluca, all down about 5% on Friday morning. Right. So, yeah. Now, why, why them in particular? They, they've got something that oh, goes direct all those US, commodities or? sort of feed into sort of steel making, uh, which China is a big exporter of. Yep. Um, and so the view is that Chinese manufacturers and exporters are going to be hit harder by these tariffs. So therefore, their suppliers okay. will also be adversely affected. And yet you didn't mention FMG or... Oh, look, it, it's broad, but they're the ones that have been hit the hardest. Right, OK, OK. Um, but, you know, it, it's a, a rapidly moving uh, situation here and people are... Well, trying to work out what the US administration will do and then what that might mean mm. and how China might retaliate. Yeah, yeah. So hence all this concern about whether it really does turn into a broader trade war. And then we're just collateral damage, obviously. Mm. Well, I don't look forward to that, but thank you. Uh, now, uh, residential property prices in WA look like they've bottomed, um, but it's still a while till a resurgence is respected is expected. Yeah, look, there's a, a few things here that tie together. Uh, Moody's Analytics did a very interesting piece of work where they talked about not just the overall WA residential property market, but they gave a breakdown. So as listeners would know, market's been very soft for sort of four to five years, um, you know, at best flat, generally tapering off. Uh, their view is that the market will in fact continue to weaken a bit in 2018, but overall growth in 2019 You know, nothing huge, just up a couple of percentage points. But when you break it down into different segments, so what they call Perth Inner, which is basically the western suburbs and the CBD, that's been the best performer. Um, It was steady in 2017, and then up this year, up again next year. Mm -hmm. Whereas some of the outer suburbs, they see them underperforming. Mm -hmm. Uh, One that really caught my eye, they're tipping quite a big recovery in the Mandurah market uh-huh. in 2019, up nearly 6%. Wow. But here's the kicker. <laughs> I'm just thinking this is 12 years after the fact. <laughs> um, home values in Mandurah are 30% below their 2007 peak. Yeah, right. There you so, go. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking it was 2006, 2007 that it, it started to get started to hurt down there, didn't it? I yes. remember we did a big feature around 2008 or 2007. What, a, what, what trouble there was going on down there. Yeah. And now this comes on top of some analysis that Rewa has done, 
where they've looked at some of the western suburbs and actually found some quite strong growth. Yep. In fact, surprisingly strong growth when I saw the numbers out a few weeks ago. Yeah, well, I, it makes sense to me because if people want to trade up, they take the opportunity in, an, in, an, in a down market, you're going to be selling... I mean, presuming the way things work, you're in an outer suburb and you sell to go into an inner suburb, that means the buying is in the inner suburbs and the selling is in the outer suburbs. So that kind of seems to reflect the statistics you're talking about. Mm. And then sitting behind this is some of the broader trends about labour force and population growth. So we had some new numbers out during the week, Mm -hmm. which gave us more insight there. Now, population growth in WA people might recall it peaked at about three and a half percent during the height of the mining construction boom, Mm -hmm. fell right away to about 0.6%. So that's when the the overseas migration fell right away and people have started going back into state, reverted to that pattern. That's still continuing. It's picked up a little bit, but you know, population growth is still about half the long-term average in WA. So that's obviously a key driver we're not going to get really strong property growth in property values no. until the population growth picks up. That's right. Okay. The other big one is on the labour force side. Now, first half of last year, there was some really consistently strong growth in full-time employment in WA. Mm-hmm. Second half of the year, that's pretty much sort of plateaued. So that, that really encouraging pickup that we'd seen, um, that, that sort of tapered off. So there's sort of some mixed signals there. Um, you know, modest population growth, limited jobs growth. So while there's sort of pockets of, you know, recovery around Western Australia, overall it's fairly soft. Yep. And that's why I think even the recovery that Moody's is talking about in residential property is pretty modest in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, right. So we don't have the people pouring in to... to yeah, look, um, and I guess, uh, what was the unemployment rate? I thought it was 6%. Is that right? Yeah, that's that? fairly steady. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I guess we're looking at this scenario where we are seeing things improving here. Um, and, you know, there's definitely more than green shoots out there, definitely more than that. But I think the hard one this this time around is getting those people to come back over here, the intra- intrastate or interstate, I should say, um, migration is the challenge because uh, they all came over here, you know, got hit by high property prices, and yes, they got the wages. Then they lost their jobs, they've all gone. Well, not all gone, but a lot of people. I think they'll be, uh, what's it, once bitten, twice shy, and coming back to give it another go, which, I, and we're already hearing those talent shortages are occurring in certain industries. Um, and we haven't even got anywhere near a boomed, <laughs> boom-like economy. It's, it's pretty dramatic. So it'll be interesting to see if maybe that lower property prices does entice people back here as with property prices in the east being so much higher. Maybe there is an opportunity there. That's a very valid point. Affordability in Western yeah. Australia is a sort of 10-year um, sort of best levels Yeah, and uh, way better than Sydney and Melbourne. Especially Mandurah, by the sounds of things. Absolutely. <laughs> um, now, Mark, uh, yeah, look, because we're based close by, uh, the old Kmart Megamart site um, on the eastern fringe of Northbridge uh, is one that I kind of have paid attention to many over many years. Um, now it's mooted for one of these World Trade Centres, which is a part of a global group, I think. Um, and I gather, and that's been long talked about. It's quite a big high-rise building and um, a lot of commercial property. I gather there's been some progress there lately. 
Well, the original plan that was released in the beginning of 2016 was for a $1.8 billion development. Um, this was part of the Barnett government scheme where they went out and called for sort of unsolicited property development ideas. Mm -hmm. And so this international group said, well, like, here's a site. And they were looking at you know, that area basically above the railway line yep. between Wellington Street and Northbridge, sort of at the um, eastern end of the CBD. Uh, Colin Barnett was very keen. Then there was a change of government. And the people behind it have been very frustrated because they've spent the better part of a year with no dialogue from the McGowan government. And they found this very frustrating. And then a few weeks ago, Planning Minister Rita Safiotti came out and said, well, look, we're still doing work on the railway lines. We've got this Metronet project. We're not quite sure what that might mean. We don't think you can go ahead. Mm. So here's a group, international group, very keen to invest a lot of money in Western Australia. Yeah. And they see it as much more than a property project. This, as you say, there's an international network of world trade centres. And essentially there are a B2B, a business-to-business -business sort of introductory networking platform. Yeah. So they're saying that that's the core business and, and the property is just part of that. So they've gone back and done some more work with their architects and come up with a drawing of saying, well, look, can we do something just on the Megamart site, which is about one hectare, which is, you know, half or less than half of what they ideally would like. Yep. So they're saying, look, we can do something there. But now they're asking the question, well, are we going to get support from the government hmm. or are they going to be in the way? So it's an interesting test here about how um, supportive and encouraging. They don't want government money. You know, they just want to be able to get through the planning process and the approvals process um, and have a sort of a, an encouraging state government yeah. to go ahead with it. And uh, ordinarily, you'd say somebody wants to bring in more than a billion dollars. Let's welcome them in. Yeah. And here's yeah. a group that uh, seems to be on the outer as far as government is concerned. Yeah, I don't understand, actually. Uh, and they're not the only ones. I think there is that... There is this sort of, uh, we, we, we talk about being a foreign investment capital and we do have a lot of foreign investment here and yet in this sort of development space in the city, there's been a number of things that have struggled, um, mostly under the last government. So it's interesting to see maybe this testing of the water, maybe they will get a better reception. What we've seen in Scarborough has been a bit of a change of heart, intriguingly. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe the new state government is a little bit more open to letting things happen, but I guess it's a wait and see. Now, um, isolated power generation specialist Pacific Energy has been on the takeover trail. What's been happening there? This is a, a great example of where there is some really buoyant activity in Western Australia. So lots of gold projects, lots of lithium projects being developed. They all need their own power supplies. So there's a handful of companies that have been picking up a lot of work off the back of this. Uh, one of them is Pacific Energy, which is listed on the ASX. <clears throat> They've announced a um, deal to acquire Contract Power Group for $90 million. So this is one of those quiet success stories. Uh, Leon Hodges is the founder yep. of Contract Power Group. Um, They've got deals with uh, Pilbara Minerals, Galaxy Resources, Tawana, Blackham, 
So gold, lithium, been doing very nicely. Um, And Pacific Energy essentially is taking out a competitor. Um, And bear in mind, Pacific Energy's core business, in fact, was something they bought about a decade ago Mm. called Kalgoorlie Power Systems. Yes, I remember it. Yeah, yeah. And Ken Hall, who built up that business, he still owns about half of Pacific Energy. Ah, okay. So a couple of fantastic sort of quiet success stories. These are hardly household names. No. But people that have built up very successful businesses, supplying power to these remote mining projects. Um, But still other competitors out there, Zenith Energy, they're in the market. They're listed on the ASX. Um, APA Group, they're a big national operator. So... um, you know, lots of opportunities and lots of competition. Yep. So I think you know, a great story for WA. Yeah. Um, and a sign of where there is some uh, very healthy activity going on. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And that M and A activity, uh, you know, it seems to be something that it's uh, it, it does it precede boom like conditions or does it come? You know, what? When do you think it appears most? It's certainly yeah. been on the wane lately, right? Yeah, look, I think in this case, um, it's the, the, the private people that have built up these businesses, like Leon Hodges at Contract Power, Ken Hall at Kalgoorlie Power Systems. Yeah. I'd say they're the biggest winners out of this Yeah, because they've already built up their business. Now they're reaping the benefit. So maybe it's that's an ex- exit strategy for them mm. b- yeah. based on I can get a good price for it now rather than you know, waiting and seeing what conditions, where the conditions change. But still good long-term business yeah. because these are... Not only do they build the power stations, but then there's a contract to operate them long term. Gotcha. So good, solid recurring income mm. for Pacific Energy in this space in years to come. Yeah, no, no, great. Fascinating. Uh, now, Katie McDonald has looked at what's happening in the ride-sharing sector. Uh, it's dominated by Uber, um, but starting to fragment by the sounds of things. Well, look... Fascinating bit of research by Katie. We've had five new players come into the ride-sharing market in Western Australia over the past year or so. As you say, Uber is the uh, the big one. Um, Chauffeur is another one that's been around for a little while. They're local. They're local. Yep. They actually own their cars. Yeah. So right. very different business model. Um, but the others that have come in um, now, Sheba, fascinating, just for women, women drivers women passengers or or young family passengers. Um, So that's a classic niche. Um, Ola, which is a big player internationally out of India, interestingly with some of the same shareholders as Uber, they're coming into the local market. Um, Karu, they're a local startup. Um, They're doing the passenger bit, but they're also targeting people that might have a a little light truck or or a ute who want a people, someone, someone wants to move something, a bit of furniture, <laughs> you know, you go and find a vehicle that can do it. Um, go Catch, which is a national business doing an ASX listing. They're also a booking service. And if you read the detail of Katie's article, not only do they have a different service focus, but also different remuneration structures. So for I think the drivers. For the drivers. Mm-hmm. So I think for all the people that are out there, They'll all be um, shopping around and just saying, well, how much money can I make if I jump from Uber or Swan Taxis to one of these other services? So, yeah, very vibrant competition. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting and and good to hear, I think. I think the the Uber story, I think, has been great 
for WA and anyone who's listened to this podcast or <laughs> read my opinions in business news over the years will know that I am a big fan of the shake-up that Uber has driven. But, um, you know, they've also got to that point of being big and and got, and got their own bad press as a result. And it's, and it's you know, it's good to see them getting kept honest, I suppose, by some, some competition um, and some local stuff, which is, which is really, really great. And all different business models. So, you know, fascinating to see which ones of those survive and thrive. Um, now, Mark, our special report this week is the most influential. Who have you selected and what has changed since last year? Yeah, look, one of the features that we've been doing for many years so I did this in tandem with the editorial team. It was a bit of a collective effort this year. So we've actually broken it up a little bit differently. So we've looked at the, if you like, the, the big end of town. And so clearly it's you know, Mark McGowan as the Premier is, you know, with that office that, that brings enormous influence. Some of his key ministers uh, like Roger Cook and Rita Safiotti. But we've also looked at some of the key people in industry. So obviously there's the you know, the, the titans of industry like Peter Coleman at Woodside and Rob Scott, who's taken over at West Farmers. But we've also had a close look at the dispute last year around gold royalties mm. and the fact that the gold miners in this state, led by people like Bill Beamont at Northern Star Resources, they were able to mount a very successful rearguard campaign that killed off plans for an increase in the gold royalty. Yeah. Uh, one of the other more nuanced aspects of all this is legislation has to get through the upper house. And in WA, like many parliaments around the country, there's a handful of effectively independents who control the balance of power. So you know, Labor might be in government, but they've got to twist arms and do deals to get things through. Yeah. So all those independents, they hold enormous influence as well. Um, We've done another piece. Um, Tory Wilson has looked at the arts and culture sector. So fascinating to see some of the prominent people heading up some of our big arts organisations. So just recently, Richard Goiter has taken over from Janet Holmes Court as chair of the WA Symphony Orchestra. Um, Nicola Forrest has recently taken over from Mark Barnaba as chair at the Black Swan State Theatre Company. Uh, last year, Sam Walsh took over as chair of the Art Gallery of WA. So, you know, they, that handful of names I just mentioned there, they don't come sort of much bigger or more powerful or influential than those. So it's good to break, look at, you know, which arts organisations are attracting those people. Mm. But the other thing that Tories looked at as well is the fact that it's sometimes it's, a, it's the maverick almost um, who's achieved a lot. So, you know, and no one bigger than Marcus Canning. Yeah, I who's was built say. up. Fringe is amazing. Built up fringe. And then the other part of the feature, um, Katie McDonald's, McDonald has looked at the property sector and in particular um, all the things that Rita Safiotti is doing there. So lots of reviews underway, lots of appointments. So she's got her own people now at the Planning Commission, at Landcorp, which is now taking over the MRA. She's got a big review of planning laws. So you know, potential there for some very big changes. Mm-hmm. Um, Metronet, of course, falls under her responsibility, uh, but remains to be seen just how much she can deliver. So a good in-depth analysis there for all the readers. Um, it's all in the next edition of Business News. Brilliant. Look forward to it. Thanks, Mark. Are you a subscriber to Business News? 
Just because you get this podcast doesn't mean you have full access to all our products. Paid subscribers get unlimited access to our news, features, archives, and massive BNIQ database with data that you won't find anywhere else to help you grow your business. Why don't you give it a go? Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Beyer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud. <laughs>